but thinking about the question brings tears to her eyes. She's tempted to put on some shoes, step across the street and knock on Rufus's door, but she can't bring herself to do it, because if she did it, she would have to be sure that it was what she wanted, and all that she is really sure of is that she has had enough of heartbreak for one lifetime. Rufus had been into the shop once or twice. He has been friendly, formal, polite. Bettina had been hurt, just a little. Her heart as though it had brushed against a nettle. Until she realised that Rufus was treating her the way she was treating him. One night, late, early, giving up on sleep and striving to understand her misery, she takes a shoebox from under her bed and finds the letter from her father that she hasn't read since she settled in Throckton. It was waiting for her when she returned from France after her father's sudden death three years before. My dear Bettina, I hope you never have to read this because I hope that I will outlive your mother and you will never have to experience her illness at close quarters. I know that you have noticed how strange she is on the phone with you sometimes, when she talks about people we haven't seen since before you and Sam were born, repeats herself, sometimes stops talking mid-sentence and hands the phone to me as though it's a cup of tea she's just made. Forgive me for telling you that her distraction was caused by tiredness or an unusual bird in the garden. The doctors say that the fall is what triggered the dementia. How I wish I had been the one who'd gone out to feed the birds that day. Such a simple decision with such monstrous consequences. To start on the washing up instead, not to insist that your mother put her garden boots on and to let her go out in those ridiculous slippers. But whatever began it, only you and I know the dark, deep well it drew from. There is so much strength in old misery. Her decline began slowly. A forgotten message, a jumbling of speech, forgivable in someone tired or depressed. But then she started putting her clothes on in the wrong order. Blouses over sweaters, dress back to front. And she would lay the table for the four of us. I didn't tell you because I've always been sure that your decision to be far away from us was your only way of coping with the tragedy in our lives. I couldn't see how I could justify bringing you back to something that was difficult to cope with in itself. It would have been like asking you to bear two impossibly heavy weights. And as I am confessing, I will confess all. Before your mother got to the point at which she is, as I write, with most of her sense of herself gone and only a few memories remaining. In her lucid moments, she said some things that were not easy to hear. She talked about Sam as though he had stepped out of the room, and she talked about you as though you were still the hard-working young woman, with all of her life waiting. She speculated about your future and Sam's, and talked about wedding hats and grandchildren, as though we still had nothing to worry about. It was unspeakably difficult to hear, Worse, somehow, than the moments when she didn't know who I was or even have much of a clue who she was. It was like watching the person she would rather have been. 
And so, out of a father's desire to protect, I decided to keep you in ignorance. I have no defence, except my desire to do the right thing, in a situation where there wasn't really a right thing to do. I hope that in time, you will forgive me. And perhaps, also, learn to forgive yourself. And now, some last advice, or perhaps it is a plea. Please, Bettina, don't give up your life to care for your mother. Although it is a difficult, heartbreaking job, that's not the reason why I don't want...